In the competitive arena of fundraising, nonprofits are always looking for ways to stand out. Anybody involved with a nonprofit is going to be blown away by hearing how Tim Kachuriak and his team at Next After are using data, research, and even secret shoppers to help organizations reach new fundraising horizons through a higher plane of digital expertise. On this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and I'm super excited to have a conversation with nonprofit thought leader, Tim Kachuriak, founder and chief innovation and optimization officer for Next After. Next After is a fundraising research lab and training institute that works with charities, nonprofits, and non-governmental organizations to help them grow their resource capacity. Tim is the author of the book, Optimize Your Fundraising, and the lead researcher and co-author of the online fundraising scorecard, Why Should I Give to You? Tim has trained organizations in fundraising optimization around the world and is a frequent speaker at international nonprofit conferences. He is also the co-founder and board member for the Human Coalition, a member of the board of directors for Open Doors USA, an advisory board member for the SMU Digital Accelerator, and also an advisory board member for the BlackBot Institute for Philanthropic Impact. I've heard of all of those. <laughs> Tim's work is dedicated to helping nonprofit leaders to inspire more people to give. Can't wait to get into all of it. Most importantly, Tim lives in Prosper, Texas with his wife, Rebecca, and their four children. Tim, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, Jay, thanks for having me, man. I'm looking forward to it. Likewise. So start simple and just tell us, how would you describe Next After to somebody that doesn't know anything about it? Yeah. You know, so Next After is really, I guess, probably three things. So we're a fundraising research lab, we're a consultancy, and we're a training institute. And I I can briefly describe how each of those three pieces yeah, fit together. Cool tripod. So uh, starting first with the research, we do really two types of research at Next After, forensic research and applied. And when I refer to forensic research, basically what that means is we're analyzing large amounts of data across the nonprofit sector, across multiple verticals within mm. the sector. And what we're looking for in the data is patterns that lead to opportunities to unlock greater digital fundraising performance. So our focus is very, very squarely around digital. We believe like many, it's the future of fundraising, but we know that it's an underdeveloped channel. Now, Jay, the challenge with our research is that the kind of data we're most interested in analyzing either doesn't exist huh. or it's not readily accessible. Wow. And that's because what we're most interested in is trying to experience the charity, the ministry, the nonprofit, the NGO from the donor's point of view. And so we found the best way to get that perspective is by becoming donor our, donors ourselves. Right. So we do about two to four major mystery donor studies per year. And you know, basically what that means is like, we'll go subscribe to hundreds of different organizations at the same time. We'll monitor everything they send us, every email, text message, voicemail. We get boxes of direct mail. We wait for the organizations to invite us to become a financial partner by giving a gift. And when they do that, we'll go online to their website and we'll give them a donation as small as $20, as large as $5,000. And then we continue to monitor how they communicate with us over time. 
And that just gives us a huge insight into like really where some of the gaps are. And so then we'll take what we learn with the the forensic research, the mystery donor studies, and we'll use it to power the other kind of research we do, which is applied research. And that's basically where we're using the web as not just a channel, uh, but a platform, a laboratory, if you will, where we can run rigorous scientific experiments to try to understand what works. So I think over the last 10 years, we've documented over 4,600 digital fundraising experiments. And so we've learned a ton. Wow. The biggest thing I've learned is that I'm not right all the time. I'm actually wrong (laughs) a lot of the time, right? And so we'll take what we learned from the research, from the testing, and then we'll bring it over to the two other parts of our company. The Institute is kind of like the training and equipping arm of Next After. We'll develop templates, guides, eBooks. We've got nine certification courses that teach what we've learned from the donor's behavior uh, to fundraisers that want to learn more. And then the last piece is our consultancy. So we work with about 46 larger nonprofits across uh, North America and help them optimize their digital fundraising. Awesome. Well, I love it. I love that the whole secret. It's like the secret shoppers that you send in to Walmart <laughs> right. or Macy's or anything, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's, right. Such, a, yeah. that's such an awesome concept. So, you know, I, I've, I read one of your, your things and I love where you talk about, you know, you're trying to unleash the power of the most generous generation. Mm-hmm. And, and t- I'd love you to talk a little bit about that, but then that's why I think the digital piece makes sense because this generation really is kind of the, the forefront of the digital revolution, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's something I've just been obsessed with uh, for probably the last 20 years. It's just like, why do people give? I mean, if you think about it, like it doesn't make rational sense. I'm going to go take my money and I give it to this person, this organization, this <laughs> cause, and I'm not going to get anything physically back in return. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't right. make sense. Um <laughs> But what's interesting about like giving is that it takes us out of ourselves, right? If you think about it, we're constantly just like saturated in consumerism. Like every ad we see on TV, every billboard, it's all about just, you know, feeding our own wants, needs, interests, and desires. And what the fundraiser does is it creates a moment of pause, right? It, It puts before an audience this idea that you can take everything you have and spend it on yourself, or you can take a portion and meet the wants, needs, interests, and desires of others. And I think every time that happens, it's a miracle. And I yep. think it's transformative. And I think if more and more people could experience that, they would get like greedy for it, right? right. And they'd want to have it every day and it'll change them. And so- mm-hmm. Through our research, we're trying to figure out the best way to inspire people to give. And I can keep all that stuff and hold it very close to my vest. And that could be my my secret sauce, my proprietary, blah, 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 right. blah. Or I can open it up and share it freely with the, with the industry. And hopefully we can all learn together. We can all get better. And we can realize that most generous generation in the history of the world. I love it. And, you know, one of the things that is a challenge that I see, you know, especially here in Colorado, we've got, you know, 4,000 nonprofit organizations. It's a super competitive environment. So, so what do you see are some of the big issues facing all these thousands of nonprofits, which are all doing great work, but there's, it's a challenging competitive environment. It it very much is. And we don't talk about that very often, right? We often kind of like, you know, say, well, you know, it's, there's no competition among lighthouses, but the reality is, is like, we are in competition, not just against other nonprofits, but every 
single like enterprise on planet earth. Right. Because again, I can decide to go spend my money on myself and my own stuff, or I could go give. Right. So there's, there's ample, you know, opportunities and choices. I would say the biggest thing we've learned through research, the biggest kind of like gap or blind spot that most nonprofits have is they don't really truly understand their unique value proposition Mm. from the perspective of their prospective donor. Mm. So when I go and I'll meet with a nonprofit executive and I'll ask them this question. Hey, tell me about your value proposition. What's your value proposition? And they would go and they'll wax and wane elegantly about like, you know, mission and vision and values and all the things that they do. And I said, that's awesome. But can I just say something? That's not a value proposition. Right. Your value proposition is the answer to a fundamental question that every donor needs to hear the answer to, but they're rarely going to ask it. And the question is this, if I am your ideal donor, why should I give to you rather than some other organization or not at all? And so when I ask that question, then I kind of get a little bit more hesitancy and they're like, uh, well, Uh, you know, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so that's really the main thing that we're trying to research Jay is like, how do we, how do we help nonprofits to, first of all, discover their value proposition, Mm -hmm. because it's not something you can declare. It has to be discovered because it lives inside the hearts and the minds of your financial supporters. And testing is one of the great ways that you can discover that by testing various different ways of communicating that value proposition and looking at the behavioral data. Do people say yes or do people say no? Does this message work better or does this message work better? The donors will teach us how to optimize our value proposition. I I love that. And and it kind of goes back to one of the lines I think I heard in one of your talks. It says, people are not thinking machines who feel, they're feeling machines that think. So it's boiling that down to how do we make that connection, right? And I wish I could take credit for that, but that was actually Antonio Damasio, which is a world famous neuroscientist. But uh, yes, I love that quote because you're right. It's not, I think, therefore I am. It's, I feel, therefore I am, right? That's what makes us human and unique and different. And tapping into that emotion um, is hard, right? Right. That's why you need that rock solid value proposition, right? And and oftentimes, you know, the the value proposition is kind of like the intellectual argument, Mm -hmm. but you brought up a really great point. If we just lead with kind of like a rational argument, it's not going to really penetrate the heart. Right. That's why we need emotion. That's why we need story. That's why we need to kind of bring, you know, into focus how this one person can be helped by you, Mr. or Mrs. Donor, right? Yeah, right. If you were going to give advice to somebody who's a a development or a major gifts officer, you know, where would you even start? Uh, First things first, I would say if you haven't done it in in a while, go and give a gift to yourself. Go give a gift to your own organization. Go to your website, Ah, go through the process of of giving a gift and then see what happens. Like, do you get a response back? Is like, you know, what does the email receipt look like? Is it a personal note? Is it very like mechanical feeling? Just like start to kind of look at the entire process. Do you have to fill out like five steps of a form and you get aggravated? Does it even work? Right. (laughs) Like things like that. Right. Right. So, um, you know, because we specialize in digital fundraising, we say that there's a lot of friction that builds up in our giving experiences. And we sometimes don't realize what beating we're putting our donors Mm -hmm. through. So so that would be the first thing I would would say. The second thing is I would, you know, do a, a, a strategic exercise that we would call the value proposition kind of workshop uh, where you get together a group of like, you know, your board members or leadership team, or even a group of donors, even better, or just staff. And you spend some time and you say, okay, look, here's the question we're trying to answer. If we are the ideal donor, 
why should somebody give to our organization rather than some other organization or not at all? And then just spend some time brainstorming, get as many claims of value like on the board as you possibly can. And then the next step of the process is really important. Then you like take a piece of paper and you number, like, you know, put a number next to each of those different claims of value. And you have each person independently score the perceived appeal of that claim versus the perceived exclusivity. Hmm. So something that's very high appeal would be a five. Something that's very low appeal would be a one, right? So it's like, this would be really appealing to our donors. This would be, you know, not so appealing. Uh, exclusivity, like uh, five would be nobody else is doing this. One is like everybody else is doing this. And you go through the, and do that independently. And then everybody goes around and shares their scores. And what you're looking for is like tight grouping, right? So if I scored as a five, you scored as one, then you're going to be like, right. uh, you know, well, I thought it meant this. And I'm like, well, I thought it meant this. So it's like, okay, we don't have clarity, right? Let's get mm -hmm. some clarity to this claim. And then once you go through that process, you take your top scored claims and that now becomes the foundation of a value proposition that you can start testing in the market. Wow. Well, I guess I know what I'm doing next week now. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about the digital piece a little bit, because sure. like you say, it's, it's becoming, it's almost like a shallow entry point because it's so available if anybody, yes. anybody can do it, but doing it and doing it effectively are two different things. But are you seeing some of the, what are you seeing out there with, with some of the blue blood, I would say kind of charities, are they good at it or are they, are they late to the party or, or who's, who, who profiles that's doing this really well? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first thing I would say is that generally speaking, digital fundraising, digital marketing is very poorly executed. And the reason Agreed. why is because the barrier to entry is so low. Like if right. I'm going to go run a direct mail campaign, I'm going to be making sure that every single T is crossed and I is dotted. Mm -hmm. I've got my message really baked because I've right. got to go spend money to print it and to post mm -hmm. it and to go send it. And then I've got to wait for three months to get my results back. Right. <laughs> right. Digital. I can just like, oh, I can just go post on social media. So like we just kind of you know push it down to the lowest level of the organization. We don't give it mm -hmm. a lot of thought. And that that's why it's, you know, a smaller percentage of revenue for most organizations. Right. So the first thing I'd say is like, get serious about your digital, right? Because here's another thing. Digital ink does not have an eraser. Right. Think about that. Right. I mean, like, just think of like the stories of the people that, you know, went crazy on social media in college mm -hmm. and now they can't get a job right. because that's, that stuff right. you know, doesn't, doesn't wash away. Right. So uh, I would say, first of all, get serious about it. And second of all, I would say, um, you know, there's probably two or three things that every single one of your listeners could do that would probably create an instant lift in performance. So I mentioned we do all these you know, experiments and tests. One of the things that we've tested over and over and over again is around email fundraising. And email fundraising right. is perhaps the, I mean, it's probably like the largest sub-channel in digital fundraising. And if you look at most nonprofit fundraising email appeals, mm -hmm. they're highly designed. They're inside of like this HTML template. There's images, right. there's graphics, there's big clickable mm -hmm. buttons. Yep. And the problem with that approach, which everybody does, right. is that everybody. When, a is, is when a potential donor sees that in their inbox, mm -hmm. all they see is somebody trying to market to them. Yep. Right. So what we've tested is like the exact opposite. So we'll take that HTML designed email and we'll create a treatment, an alternative version, and we'll run an A-B split test. And the B version gets rid of all the marketing veneer, gets rid of the images, the graphics, the buttons. And we even rewrite the copy. So it sounds uh. like it's coming from one human to another human. When we've tested that head to head, two, three, four, 500% increase wow. in response rate to the appeal. 
That's so, so funny because that's exactly what happens. Well, we designed this awesome email and we send it out and we didn't get any reaction. So we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And the reason why is because people give to people, not to email machines, right? Not to fundraising campaigns, not to direct mail letters. People give to people. Yeah. And the more that we can humanize our communication, the more effective it's going to be. But there's also a technical reason why the plain text works better. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, do you have like a Gmail account or like uh -huh. a Yahoo email account? Okay. So all these email service providers, they're in the business of providing a very good service to their customers. And they know that if you're getting bombarded with a bunch of spam in your inbox all the time, that you're not going to be really happy as a customer. Right. So what they do is they look at the technical contents of that email. And if it has lots of images and graphics and, and uh, HTML coding, they're not going to put it in the inbox. They're going to put it in the promotions tab, or they're going to put it in the spam filter. Right. right? Yep. And so one of the reasons why plain text email performs better is because it has a much higher inboxing rate than the HTML design. So there's a technical reason and strategic. Yeah. Makes sense. So you know, through the research, I'd love to hear what are some of the most interesting things you've learned as far as human behavior goes from some of this research? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's two kind of um, major factors that play on a donation page. So let's, let's start with the donation page, for example, right? So there's, there's value factors and there's cost factors. And when we talk about value proposition, we talk about how the donor is constantly weighing the perceived value of moving right. forward versus the perceived cost. <laughs> And if you look at most nonprofit donation pages, uh, I would say that the majority of them are all cost and no value. Mm. What do I mean by that? Well, there's obviously the material cost of the money that you're going to give to the cause. Right. But but uh, generally speaking, most nonprofit donation pages have just very little text. It just says like donate now, and then right. there's this big long right. form you got to fill out. Mm -hmm. And the and filling out a form is mental cost, right? It takes me time and effort. And like, sometimes you're asking questions I don't know the answer to, and I've got to get my wallet out. And I've got to go and, you know, get the credit right. card, you know? So that's, that's Flip the mental over cost. For the number, right. All that. But what we found is that when you actually add value to that page, you see an increase in performance. So what do I mean by adding value? Well, one of the easiest ways to do that is by working on that value proposition exercise that we talked about taking mm -hmm. the results of that and writing several paragraphs explaining the value proposition to the donor. Love so Jay, a lot of people don't realize this, but like less than 17% of the people that click a donate button on a nonprofit's website actually complete the transaction. Wow. Less than one in five. Exactly. Wow. And the reason why is because they get there and it's all cost and no value. So we've mm. we've done A-B tests where you take like the, you know, just the vanilla donation page, it just has donate now and form. Right. And we'll put like two, three, four, five, sometimes 10 paragraphs of text before the donation form. Yeah. And we'll see two, three, four, 500% increase in wow. donation conversion. Yeah. Wow. Things like that. Which, and this is another thing that I would think is a big issue with, with digital. And I'm, I'm been as guilty as anybody about this is, yeah, I don't have to send it to a printer. So I'm just going to send out emails like there's no tomorrow. Right. So you're going to get six emails from me and sooner or later, I'm just going to bludgeon you into donating. I mean, that that's got to be a super faulty strategy, but one that happens all the time. It's absolutely again, because there's, there's no, um, you know, no significant cost to hit that right. send button that we just, right. oh, we oversend, we oversaturate. Right. And so that's why we say, look, you really need to have empathy for the perspective of this uninitiated potential donor. Put yourself in their shoes. Is that what you would want? You know what I mean? Right. Right. No, no, of course not. And so if you use email as more of like an engagement tool and mm -hmm. even 
the one of the most effective and actually underrated metrics in email marketing is reply rates, not response rate, reply rate. How many people actually reply to my email and say, hey, thanks, Jay. Thanks for saying this. This is really great, right? I mean, like that then signals that you have a relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, and a lot of, you know, especially larger organizations don't want to do that. They're like, I can't answer all these things. I was like, how could you not want to talk to your donor? Seriously. What's wrong with you? Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. We get, we do newsletters and it's like, oh, we killed the uh, industry open rate. We got a 70% open rate. I never even stopped to think about, well, did anybody reach out and say thanks? Or did we, is, does that mean engagement? Probably right. not really. Exactly. Huh. That's super interesting. So, you know, tell me about some of the, some of the leadership lessons that you've used to build next after, and that you've taken from other mentors that have really helped you kind of reach the point that that you are now. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So it's been quite a journey. So uh, we're in our 11th year. I started the company in May of 2012. And yeah, thank you. And um, it was a single shingle the first year. I mean, I was all by myself and now I think we have 51 employees now. So it's like, it's been quite a journey. No kidding. Um, All self-funded, organic, you know, bootstrapped. So, you know, we don't have debt or investors or anything, which we pride ourselves in because it enables us to be objective. (laughs) I'd say the hardest thing for me as a leader is to let go. Right. Mm. So when you are an individual contributor and you're, you think you're really good, you think, I'm going to say, you think you're really good right. at certain right. things. Um, and like you have new people kind of come in and, and now it's their turn to kind of do that. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes hard to kind of like you, you grit your teeth and like, oh, don't, I wouldn't say it that way. Oh, no, they're not, you know, but like you got to trust the process. They need to have mm-hmm. space to be able to fail and to learn just like you have as a leader. And yeah. so letting go is like, probably the thing that I've gotten better and better at over time. Hard. It's hard. It's very, very hard, but it's essential. I mean, if you do want to create a company, like if you want to create like an organization that, that like is bigger than just you as the person and all these supports, you know, staff around mm-hmm. you, you have to let go. Yeah. You got to like turn over ownership. So that's been the hardest thing. Uh, like I said, I'm getting better, but I'm still not, you know, I'm still not hundred percent there. Well, we touched on it briefly before we started recording, but talk a little bit about how, what got you into this nonprofit space with taking all this cool, these cool ideas that are really, you know, business principles. How do we apply those to nonprofits? How did you get from, from there to, to doing this? Yeah, it was a, it was a weird path. I mean, I think we were talking about how it's like a very indirect path yep. into the nonprofit space for most folks, but you know, I graduated college right after nine 11. Uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I desperately wanted to work in the field of advertising marketing, but like, obviously there's no jobs at that mm-hmm. time. So, um, I worked at a country club all during high school and college. The, the president of the country club was also the president of the second largest ad agency in Pittsburgh. I met with mm. him, did my little dog and pony show. He's like, oh, I'd love yeah. to hire you a kid. But you know what? We just laid off 30 people yesterday. Oh, you know? geez, 9-11 right. hit our industry hard, agency yep. harder, can't help you. So, you know, wandering in the wilderness for about six months, just getting doors slammed in my face. I met a serial entrepreneur. He said, look, you know, you could do some stuff for these little businesses I operate. I said, that sounds great. And then he looked at me and he said, why don't you start a company? I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. He's like, well, I do. You know, we get an incubator in the second floor of our office building. I'll be your partner. I'll introduce you to people and, you know, give you a desk and the rest is up to you, kid. So I'm like living in my parents' bases. I'm like, I'm like, sure, why not? Yeah. I've got nothing else to do. So I started a, a business called Ambience Interactive out of college. I did that for about five years. We were kind of an interactive marketing boutique. Um, loved what I was doing, but wasn't 
super excited about the clients. You know what I mean? It was like, we had like automotive dealerships and law firms, nothing wrong with, you know, lawyers and car dealers, right. but just didn't spin my wheels. So about five years into that, my church was doing a capital campaign to build a new, uh, new building. And so I volunteered to go participate and help with that campaign. I was like, you know, I've got this marketing shop. I can do all the marketing stuff. And it was the first time that I was doing something I felt like I was wired to do, but for like a cause that I cared about. Nice. And like after that, man, like you can't go back and build car dealership websites anymore. Uh. Right? And so, uh, so I had this crisis of career. I ended up um, taking a job, like shutting down my my company um, and uh, went and moved to South Florida. I worked for a nonprofit organization down there. I was there for about 18 months and then uh, got recruited to come work at a basically an agency that works exclusively with nonprofits. I had no idea that existed. Uh, That's And so I went to work for KMA Direct Communications. We got acquired by the Pursuant Group in 2010. And then um, during that time, I just became obsessed with like optimizing digital fundraising. And so that's ultimately how I took the leap and started Next After. I love it. So what really gets you excited uh, about the future. I mean, the, not much, Jay. I'm pretty, oh you know, gosh. I'm pretty mild mannered. <laughs> uh, what, what am I really excited about? Okay. The, the latest thing that I'm really pumped up about is connected TV. So I don't know if you're familiar with this whole concept, but basically, you know, the way that um, linear television has always worked is like, you know, there's, there's like a cable under the ground or there's like a satellite up in space. So there's a lot of infrastructure. Uh, Well, now the internet speeds are getting faster and faster, faster. Like there's these set top boxes that just, you plug into your internet thing and like, boom, you've got cable, right? And what that enables us to do is to be able to target individual people with ads. So instead of actually like buying, like, you know, I'm going to buy like Seinfeld, you know, the show and like have Mm -hmm. my ad show up there because that's where my target audience is. Maybe sort of, I think, I hope, I don't know. Right. I can go and create, here's my donor list or here's my, my lookalike donor list. And I can actually have television ads that are served directly to those people. And the reason I'm so excited about that is because like, I feel like nonprofits are finally going to be able to compete, uh, you know, on television with some of these big consumer brands, which is going to be really exciting. Yeah. That is super exciting. Well, as we wind down a little bit here, one of my favorite questions I always love to ask is tell me what's something you will read, listen to, or watch today. Read, listen to, or watch today. Well, I've got this book sitting on my desk that my CTO gave me called shape up because we're working on building like this, uh, this, technology products. And so I'll probably dig into that later today. Uh, and also I am going to, um, do like a little screening with my staff. Um, there's a new documentary coming out called uncharitable. And so I got a, an advanced copy of that. So we're probably going to watch some of that later today. Is that the Dan Pilato one? That's the Dan Pilato one. Yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah, gosh. Yeah. One of my favorite all-time Ted talks. So good. I know. That's, well, what I and, and that's, that's what I love what you guys are doing is like, is you're taking a lot of this principles about how, how do we change the nonprofits to really be effective businesses? That's exactly right. Yeah. I, I love it. So tell me who's been um, a role model that's that's really helped you along in your career and why uh so there's there's two two gentlemen um let's make it three okay so first one was the the serial entrepreneur his name was john vento just amazing guy like you know everything is possible and just like really kind of like when i was you know a pimple faced kid coming out of college he was just like dude you can start a business i'll help you and like so that was my first experience that was my first job was basically running a company i learned so much it was like a phd in business so like john vento i'll never forget him um my boss tom mccabe who was the the ceo for core uh, for uh, kma direct communications 
he's still a very good close friend and mentor. We still have lunch once a month. Um, and he's like in his eighties now. I mean, just That's wonderful, awesome. just amazing guy, so much wisdom, but he's also like opposite personality. He's like very, you know, just calm and like, you know, mild mannered. And, and he's just, he's a great, great voice in my life. And then the other person I'd say was uh, Flint McLaughlin, who is the founder of a company called Mech Labs. And really we modeled next after a lot, um, based off of Mech Labs. So Mech Labs was like kind of a conversion rate optimization agency that worked with for-profit companies. They had a training institute, they did research. So we kind of like basically stole their business model. Uh, I say steal, but you know, borrow is probably better. Uh, <laughs> right. And just moved it over into the nonprofit space. And it's yeah. really well. I love it. So <laughs> other than Next After, is there an organization out there that you really admire and what they're doing in, in the world? Yeah, you know, there's there's another company that that works in our space that I, I really do admire. It's called Donor Voice, uh, and what's interesting is they have a lot of really interesting like academic and uh, just really smart like uh, you know scientific kind of people that are really trying to bring a lot more rigor to the science side. I would say that you know we do science stuff too, but I would say they go way 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 deeper. Um, so you know, I I think that that's a, a group I would say I probably admire. Awesome. Well, the last one is. If people want to learn more about Next After, uh, work with you guys, maybe bring you in for a keynote, uh, what's the best way to find and connect with you? Yeah, probably the easiest way, just go to nextafter.com, N-E-X-T-A-F-T-E-R.com. All of our research is available there. You can access our full research catalog of the tests that we're allowed to share, uh, which is probably about 2,500 or so. So um, yeah, you can go check that out. All of our trainings there, resources, um, and you can find me there. Or if you could spell Kachuriak, uh, <laughs> just type that into Google. I think I pop up everywhere because there's not too many Kachuriaks. Yeah. Well, I would recommend it. Some of your some of your talks are brilliant. And I, I can't think of any nonprofit that wouldn't benefit from at minimum visiting your site or at least reaching out to you guys for some consultancy. So, Tim, thanks again. Uh, keep up the great work. Thanks, Jay. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and thanks to Tim for sharing so many great insights that can benefit any nonprofit. This podcast was brought to you by JC Charity Services. We help build great organizations and we'd love to have a conversation about how we can help you. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To learn more about Next After and the exciting work Tim and his team are doing and to check out some of his great TED Talks on fundraising, visit nextafter.com. Check the show notes for links. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd share it with a friend. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better. Music